Welcome to The Kitchen Table, a conversation about faith, music, and culture. Join Shine.fm's ministry director, Brian McIntyre-Utter, and his son, Jake, around the table for this week's chat. Welcome to The Kitchen Table. My name is Jake. And I'm Brian. And we are so glad to have you back for another episode of The Kitchen Table. We are a father-son duo, and we... Duo. Duo. We're like a dynamic duo. duo. Oh, we said it at the same time. We're so cool. We love conversation and we love media. My whole life, I'm 20 years old now, and my 20 years of being on this earth, dad has always let me ask these tough questions of faith and tough questions of just life in general. And so we wanted to share that in a podcast form because we want to encourage families and children to have these discussions with their parents, with a mentor, with anyone, because we think they're that important. A quick rundown of how the show is set up. We do our faith discussion for about the first 20 to 30 minutes of the show. And then we move into a segment called Music Matters. And it's simply put, we think music matters. So we talk about it. Dad brings a new song. I bring a song of the week more. And then dad, as he has always done in my life, brings an oldie but goldie out of his vault of musical knowledge because he's old. And thanks. We get that. And then we move into a segment called Culture Shock. And Culture Shock is a time where we celebrate somebody who is making a difference in our culture for the kingdom of God. That can be your average Joe Schmo. Or it can be a celebrity. We've talked about many celebrities, singers, athletes who are believers in Christ and making a true difference in the kingdom for him. So we got a good one coming up later today. Sweet. All right. So we are continuing. This will be our third week in what we're calling the Listen and Learn series on race. We started two weeks ago talking about uh, race, reconciliation, and relationships with our own Sherry from the Brant and Sherry Show on Mm Shine.fm. Last week, we talked with our good friend Travis Smith, and we focused more on intentional exposure to those that are different than us in order to build those relationships. And today, we're going to be focusing on a, a different area because racism in itself is a sin issue, and that means that as a church, we have the solution to this. So we've invited our good friend, uh, Sharon Norman, to uh, share her experience in our faith discussion across the kitchen table. We're going to focus this episode more specifically on solutions, especially the solution. And I think it's absolutely true that the church needs to be leading the way on racial reconciliation and justice. And so our good friend, Sharon Norman is here with us. Uh, Thank you, Sharon, for coming and hanging out on the kitchen table with us. Oh, you're welcome. It's really an honor to have you with us. Uh, First, Sharon, share a little bit of your story, your background and uh, your growing up years and maybe some examples of injustice and race that you've experienced yourself. Sure. I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. My background, I grew up in the church. My upbringing was predominantly African-American in the church, but in school, it was more white. And so my faith experience was definitely the Black church experience. We would gather on Sunday, kind of fuel to go back into week to face what could feel like a hostile world. That's what I grew up in. When I met my husband, we were in Sunday school together and eventually we would get married. At the time that I got engaged, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee. In that season, it was like God had plucked me out of Grand Rapids to kind of prepare me for whatever was to come. After we got married, I came back home and I said to my husband, I don't think I can go back into the same scenario that I came from 
because what God had been doing in me. And I ended up serving as a worship pastor in the Nazarene Church. It was Grand Rapids International Fellowship. The heartbeat of Griff, Griff had been an all-white church for 90 years, and they felt God telling them to stay in the neighborhood they were, but that neighborhood no longer reflected the population of the church. It was very multicultural. And they felt God calling them to stay in the neighborhood. So they began to hire staff with a mindset that we're going to be shifting and our staff needs to be able to help lead us through it. That was my jump in the Nazarene church. Very different from what I had grown up with. One of the funniest stories, my first Sunday there, I sang this song called I Can Go to the Rock that Whitney Houston had also made possible. I had sang a song. That's what I would say. I I sang that song. You hear me? <laughs> and uh, after I was done, it was like birds chirping. <laughs> and so, so I was like, Jesus, what have you done? I don't know quiet church. It was a very different experience, and it was extremely learning for me. It began a journey for not only the people I was now going to do life with, but a journey for me because, again, my experience had been really thing in faith life. And my life had consisted of those who looked like me. And now it was going to consist of people who did not. Actually, people who I had had, in some cases, adversarial relationships in the school or business world. Mm. So this was really new. And learning, I felt very clear early on that God had called me to Griff and just this type of ministry for more than just because I I had a music offering to give. But there was the potential to really change what the kingdom looked like in this and answering the question about or or even flying in the face of the reality that the most segregated day of the week is Sunday. By the time I left Griff 11 years later, when I got there, there were probably five or six people of color. When I left, there were 20 countries represented. And this idea of a kingdom narrative began to take place of the narratives that would creep up as different things in our culture would come up. So if there was oppression of any people group, well, there was nine times out of 10 a chance that people like Griff would be a part of that people group. Mm-hmm. And you've done life with these people. You didn't feel okay with remaining silent when you knew that there was some act of oppression or hurt put on the very people that you do life with. So you began to bear the burden with those who you were doing life with. It was extremely growing and life-changing, and it helped me immensely in this idea of what it looked like for the church's response when oppression and racism began to creep in the doors. Because the reality is nothing happens just outside the church. We're all a part of the church. So we show up, whatever we've experienced comes with us. But what we have in the church is something very different. We have this hope and we have these tools. We have hope in Jesus Christ and the tool of the Holy Spirit living in us that allows us to deal with or face them differently than perhaps how our world may face them. 
that has been something I've learned over the years. As far as the things in my own experiences, I wish, I wish I would be able to tell you that that which I learned about this hope we have and these tools that we have as believers would exempt me from the experiences of racism. I can tell you that has not happened. Mm-hmm. I wish I could tell you that it didn't happen in the church. I can't tell you that e- either. And as much as I love my Nazarene folks, I would love to be able to say I didn't experience at the hand of Nazarene. I can't say that either. I would say the last four years have probably been some of the hardest. I am not necessarily correlating that to anything as much as to say my experiences in the last four years have been tougher than my entire 18 years in the church. And I don't know if my prayer is that it will get better, but the more things are polarized, I wonder, the more we make things idols that shouldn't be, I'm not, again, convinced it's going to change soon. I remain hopeful in Jesus Christ, and I remain hopeful that the tools that have been the gift of the spirit that was given to us will help us to live into this idea of holiness that we as Nazarenes are called to. That's kind of where my heart stands. We were just in staff meeting today. Mm -hmm. And I said to our team, I will be honest and say, my blackness has taken a beating over the last three weeks. Mm. And it's very difficult. And it's been very difficult. But my identity as created in his image, stand sure. And because that is supreme in my life, my blackness is is choosing to rest in that. And as a Christ follower, that is where I have to live. Because at the end of the day, my blackness is only part of me, but being created in his image is all of me. Mm. And I can't sacrifice the biggest part for the other part. Now, Griff, is a, it's a unique church in the fact that it is mm-hmm. all those nationalities. When the church decided to do what it did and to maintain their presence in that neighborhood, it wasn't overnight that that change happened. Absolutely not. And I'm assuming not everyone was on board with the change and probably left that church. There were some, absolutely, yeah. who left. One of the things that we would hear would be, what about us Americans? And that was something we had to learn to navigate and wasn't easy. But the thing that we found, you can't program that kind of change. It truly comes through relationship. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to enter the life of another. And the reality is in the body of Christ, that is exactly how this works. You have to be willing to bear the burden of another in order to fully appreciate or be willing to go the kind of distance that it would take to be able to deny self for things that were, you know, simple things like being able to hear a service in English. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's kind of hard to sit through a service where there's other languages that are being spoken or murmured in the back. It can be distracting, but you have to figure out There has to be this figuring out, I want them to get the gospel too, because they are us. Even if there's a language barrier, they are us. There is no us in them. And they need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. 
We need to hear the message of holiness. We need to hear the message of hope and truth. And so therefore, I'm willing to sacrifice some comforts if we are all able to get this message that God desires. And so that took time. It took a lot of wading through that, and it wasn't always easy. Mm-hmm. Use the words, be willing to bear the burden. I think what I have heard during these last three weeks from white friends is our heart is in this. And you talk about coming out of the comfort zone. And I think that they are in this and willing to come out of the comfort zone. But I think what the problem is, is they feel inadequate about bearing that burden because they can't relate. What would you say to that? Well, the reality is there are some things you will not be able to relate to, and that's okay, because there's things that I won't be able to fully relate to with you. Mm-hmm. I think that this idea of stopping and listening and to really think about the words we use, it becomes so important. For instance, you see a lot of meme sharing mm-hmm. and a lot of regurgitating information And I think sometimes when we hear something, it hits us a certain way. The first thing I would say is challenge that feeling you're getting when you hear it, okay? And then think about that other brother or sister who it might possibly negatively speak to. Think about where they're coming from. And then think about if you need to repeat it or say it. You know, I've always, and I'll give you a perfect example of that for me. The term white privilege. Mm-hmm. My problem sometimes with this term is that it's heard in a way that's not redemptive. So let that sit with you for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think we take this word and we make it this noose, and I mean to use that word. We make it this noose for white people, and we just want you to sit there and hang there until you feel the pain of it. Mm. Now, From a Christian perspective, in my opinion, this is not okay. Because anything that we bring to the table as the body of Christ should be redemptive. So how are we speaking redemptiveness in this term? And that is a problem that I often have when I hear it. Because there's no solution. I accept that I have white privilege, now what? And generally, there isn't a lot of positive that comes after that. There's a lot of lamenting and a lot of guilt. And I don't want you to do anything for me based on guilt. If that is your motivation, that's not the right motivation. Mm. If that statement only leaves you in a place of guilt and you feeling you need to atone for that guilt, how is that helping? And how is that reflecting who we are as the church? It doesn't. So before I will say anything about white privilege, I need to add the rest of it here. The fact is, if you recognize that you have white privilege, guess what? There is a key word in that that says privilege. With privilege comes responsibility. So use it in a way that it doesn't have to tear down me, but it can build me up. It can tear down some of those things that keep us separated, that keep people oppressed. Yes, you got it. Use it wisely. Use it in a way that it maybe hasn't been used in the past. Use it to lift your voice in solidarity 
used it to open the door for those whose doors have been closed for. You got it. Use it. That is a redemptive way to look at it. And I I don't think we always do that. Yeah. I had a discussion this week with a friend of mine about the term white privilege. We as a staff did a Zoom call with the author of the book, Dear White Christian, just to learn, listen and learn again. I think a lot of people don't truly understand what the term white privilege means uh, because this person immediately mm-hmm. went into, well, you know, I grew up poor and I and all these kinds of things. And I'm like, that, that you're not seeing what it truly is. Yeah, I grew up, man, I grew up, my dad was a working for a farmer. We lived off of 30 bucks a month. We, we ate crackers and eggs, you know, for dinner all the time. That's what we could get access to. But it's understanding that just because of your skin color, you don't face prejudice all the time based on that. You're right. not fearful for your life all the time based upon that and constantly looking over right. your shoulder. Right. It was an interesting conversation because I think many don't truly understand what that term means. Right. I fully agree. It's I heard it put very well. Doesn't mean you haven't had hard life. It just means that your skin color didn't contribute to it. Mm. Exactly. That's great. I think significant to understand. And I think the more we understand that, the more power we have. Mm. And that's where I go back to, there is a a redemptive side to that, to that term. And if we never, if we always stop at the term itself and never go beyond that, we will always leave white people in this place of guilt of something they need to atone for. Mm. We got to move forward. And if we don't move forward, the church is held hostage. The love of the church is held hostage. And we can't afford that. I read another thing this week. You know, we're calling this series Listen and Learn. I saw a third word being thrown into kind of that same verbiage. And that third word is care. Now, you, you said pr- with privilege comes responsibility. And I think the church mm-hmm. is finally waking up to this and truly caring about change and the outcome. Speak to the church. Speak to the church that is all white. Their community is all white. They really, mm-hmm. they don't know what to do. They don't know if they need to even do anything. And I think they that's what needs to be communicated more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yes, you need to do something just because it's not in your back door. Speak mm-hmm. to the church about caring and what caring looks like. Well, the church is, is a global a global entity. It's not just this local body mm-hmm. or anything like it's bigger than that. The church is collective. And so we need to start understanding that when the body of Christ, the bride of Christ is struggling, mm. we are all struggling. Okay. Yeah. We're all a foot. A foot is a foot. It doesn't have fingers. It doesn't have, but let your fingers not work. Mm. We're going to have a problem. Or let the other foot not work. We're going to have a problem because all of the pressure becomes on this foot that works. And if you've ever had an injury, you know when one part of the body is injured, the other parts of the body have to overcompensate even to its detriment. Mm -hmm. As the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, we have to remember when one side is hurting, the others will have to overcompensate for what's lost on the other side. It doesn't matter if you're in an all-white community or an all-black community 
or an all Hispanic community, we see this as Nazarenes. We see this all the time at General Assembly. There's a whole lot of people that come from these areas that are all one thing, and we are still yet one. And we need to work as one as the body of Christ. To that, I say, I go back to the prophet Isaiah's words, where he's repeating the words that God has given him. Is this not the kind of fast I want? Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. It goes on and on. And the thing that I think is so great about that passage, it does not point out any color, any race. Mm. It tells you this is what you do for people. The one who is oppressed, the one who is hungry. At the end of the day, instead of coming up with a list of reasons why we can't help or why those people should help themselves, remember, God doesn't put a caveat on what that is. And as the church, we have a responsibility to remove the caveats from our vocabulary. I read something the other day that had a list of all of George Floyd's crimes. It blew me away because it was, and it was posted by a Christian. And my thought was, so do we treat him less than human? Because he's just like the thief that hung to the right of Jesus on the cross? Or do we do what Jesus did and say today you, I value enough as human Mm -hmm. that even though you were steeped in sin, I will, there is a place for you in paradise. I think as Christians, our caveats, they got to go out the window. It shouldn't be this group of people because they did X, Y, Z. Well, if they weren't doing this or if they weren't doing, no, life is life and love is love. And God calls us to embody that love. With that, I think the church's call is clear. And I would even add what he says to us in Ephesians 2. I have torn down the wall of hostility that separated Jews and Gentiles. So the issues you have with each other, you don't have to have anymore. I've taken care of that. You are all one. You are all one in me. I am your peace. And it's amazing how in this time, because of the idols we keep erecting, we also keep erecting this wall of separation that gives us permission to find this divide in one another. And I'm like, y'all, we're the church. And right now, the enemy, I would say mark one for the enemy, zero for the church in some ways, Mm -hmm. because we are being bamboozled by this thing called race, and we're being divided by it. And the fact that we're being divided by it means that there's a chance that some of us, one, we stop reading scripture. Because scripture don't give permission to act the way we're acting, no matter what side you stand on. Right. I would say to the brother, I've also heard these things of where it names police as murderers. Black lives matter. Police lives murder. Not okay. Not okay. And it's not reflection of the body of Christ, which seeks to bring unity. And that's what he calls for. And on the flip side... You also can't post about the welfare recipients and the list of other names that you give and make them as in not valued either because it fits a narrative. That's not the body of Christ either. So stop it. (laughs) (laughs) 
again, we every week we've done a, a discussion mm-hmm. on this, and every week we learn more, and you've you've taught us more. Honestly, I, I, I just, I want to say I'm sorry because you've had a rough three weeks mm-hmm. and you even acknowledged that at the beginning of this conversation. And I'm sorry that that, that is the case. And, and my prayer more than anything is that real change happens, mm-hmm. that conversations continue, mm-hmm. that solutions are found and that we know, we know the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ. And the more That's that we right. share Christ with others and point them to scripture, the unification will definitely come. That's right. how it comes. But Sharon, thank you so Amen. much for being with us today. We, we really do appreciate it. My pleasure. And I just want to say thank you for being able to have those conversations. You would be shocked and maybe you wouldn't. The number who wouldn't. There are people who we have done life with. The things that they have said in the past three weeks just floors us. And it's like, but you know us. You know our kids. Mm-hmm. You've done life with us and you hold these positions. So I thank you for that. And and let me just add, when we've had more calls and tech and responses from the body of Christ that affirm that we are valued and loved and we are seen as fellow brothers and sisters who are created in the image of God. Amen. So I'm thankful that our experience with those who are part of the body who get this have far outweighed the other side. I'm thankful for that. And you are a part of that. So thank you. My mother is, how did she say it? She said, oh, Sharon's her sister from another mister. So the mom and Sharon have been best friends since I think Many we years. Mo- moved Many here, years. maybe mm-hmm. even longer. I don't know. But uh, every time I'm with Sharon Norman, one, I love watching her worship. She's probably one of the best worship leaders I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. She's just amazing. And actually last summer I got the privilege to do a camp where she, it was like a family camp and we were leading worship for the youth, but she was leading worship for the uh, adults. Mm-hmm. And in the morning we never had a youth service because no one wants to wake up early or no teenagers want to wake <laughs> up early. And so we would just go to the service and watch her worship. And it was just a blessing to watch her again just to talk with her because she has a heart for God and a heart for worship. And I love every, every word that she says. And so that's why I didn't talk a lot during the interview because you were listening. I I, I was listening and learning. (laughs) I I, I told her, I I mean, I just, I love every word she has to say about everything. And I think what advice she gave for the church is super important for us to follow because the church is, is supposed to be non-judgmental and it's supposed to be full of love. And for churches, some I, and it's hard because churches are such a wide variety. It's a global church. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not just one. And so you may have a church that's predominantly white. It's interesting because, I mean, for me, I've been traveling to churches for three years now, almost. Th- I'm starting my third year. And so I've seen the entire span and I've, I've been to foreign country churches. I mean, I've seen the entire span in my 20 years of life mm-hmm. and I haven't seen everything. I think the church is just an important place. It's a safe haven. And I feel like the church is just very tensed up because they don't, they don't want to upset people yeah. and, or it's the other way around. They just are living, they're digging their feet in the ground and that's not the right thing to do. And a lot of it comes down to not understanding, but yeah. some of the highlights I think from, from what Sharon had to share with us today is the willingness we have to bear others' burdens. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we will never understand the burden that they feel. And they will never understand burdens that we feel just because of race. But we have to be willing to share those burdens. And that comes down to not only listening and learning, but caring. 
I think that's an important part of this. This starts with caring, building those relationships and caring. Yeah. So, And if you ever get the chance to listen to Sharon Norman saying, you will be <laughs> highly blessed and favored. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up our uh, faith conversation. Time now to move into Music Matters. So in Music Matters, what we do is we uh, we celebrate the generational differences of music. Not only do we have generations talking about faith issues and different things, but we celebrate the different styles of music, and, and uh, not just stylistically, because you like a lot of the styles I like. Well, it's good that you raised me on the styles. Well, but, but we're pretty eclectic in yeah, our, are, in our yeah, styles that we like, and that's a good thing. I usually bring a new song. Jake, a lot of times, will bring a new song to me or a new band that I've never heard of, which surprises me a lot of times. We all know who I'm bringing today. Everyone knows Matthew West. Yeah. He's got a new song out. I think it's pretty relevant right now, especially when it comes to, you know, there's with with COVID and everything that's going on, it's been tough mentally on us. Yeah. His song is called Truth Be Told. And the truth be told is, hey, I'm struggling and I'm not okay. And and that's that's okay because God's going to be in this. So I, I really want you to listen to this new song. It's Matthew West. It's called Truth Be Told. Truth Be Told is a song about the struggle to be authentic, to be real, when instead we're so tempted to pretend that we've got it all together. Why do we do this? Well, because of the lies that shame tells us. Shame says, hide the ugly parts of your story away. Grace says, you've been forgiven. Shame says, they'll judge you. Grace says, your father loves you. Shame says you're the only one who's messed up. Grace says we're all sinners, deeply flawed, yet deeply loved. I hope when you hear the words of this song that you'll be challenged, just like I am, to be reminded that there's a God who sees everything about me and he hasn't changed his mind about how much he loves me. Let the truth be told and let the healing begin. Oh, am I the only one who says I'm fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine. But I'm not. I'm broken, and when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fall, there's no sin you don't already know. It's a great song. I think I like his first quarantine hit better. Oh, the quarantine Quarantine life. Quarantine life. Quarantine life. No, I'm just kidding. It's a great song. It's super hard. I, I And it's kind of weird now because it's like we hear nothing about COVID-19. It's still out there. It's we still, still out hear, there. We still hear about but, it. But, you know, it's just, it's a weird, and I've been around people. I've, I've, I've like jumped back into society basically. Oh, yeah, I forgot I need to wear a mask when I go to a grocery store. I still do because that's the rules. My song for the week, I don't want to say they're underground and be like super cool, like millennial hipster because I'm not. Shane and Shane. Right. They are kind of a, a worship. They write songs for church mm-hmm. and they do this collection. I think I've used a couple of their, of their songs. They release two kind of EP album kind of things. They're books of Psalms mm-hmm. and I love them. They are straight scripture. Uh, they like kind of reword it just to get kind of more of the lyrical fo- flow of it. But Psalm 46 is just really resonating with me and the parentheses. It's, it's like Psalm 46, the Lord of hosts. It's just talking about how God is always going to, in the dark times and the battles and the war, God is always going to carry us through it and be there with us. So here, check out Shane and Shane, Psalm 46, Lord of Hosts. Lord of Hosts, you lead us, lead us in the fire. 
even though you consider them under the radar, so to speak, they do put out a lot of they great do, music. They, yeah, they and, do. And a lot of songs that you'll sing in the church not knowing where they've come from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great stuff from them. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's, Let's go back into the vault. It is our oldie but goldie. Okay, our oldie but goldie, I'm actually going back to the 80s. You're not going to stay in the 2000s? Well, I, st- I stayed in the recent ones just because I wanted songs that addressed racism and, and social inequality. I have a song from 1989. 10 years before I was born. Okay, so this is Steve Camp. I'm not sure where he's originally from. He went to college in Illinois. I think he's currently a pastor in Florida. He put out an album in that time called Justice, and he wrote a song called Do You Feel Their Pain? It mm. actually hit number 23 on the on the year chart, 1989. But there is one line in that song that is a question that I think is very relevant to what we're talking about today in the fact that the solution to this is based in Jesus, and Jesus uses the church to bring about change. Bottom line. And so the question he asks that I think is relevant for today, will you love them more than the hate that's been? So give a listen, Steve Camp, Do You Feel Their Pain from 1989. Great song. Does he have any uh, relation to Jeremy Camp? Maybe? I don't think so, no. That'd be cool. Maybe. Yeah, I don't think they're cool. related. I just heard Camp, and so I was like, maybe. He's been around a long time because I remember playing old vinyl from him from like the 70s. So it's like an old, old, gold, oldie, goldie. Well, goldie. that one's 89, but we could go back into the 70s if you wanted to to get stuff from him. True. We'd have to find it on vinyl, though. We Wish we could. We don't use those anymore. <laughs> well, that wraps up Music Matters. And now moving into Culture Shock. Okay, uh, Culture Shock, we're celebrating Ben Watson. You know who Ben Watson is? No. Ben Watson is a former New England Patriot. We can't hold that against him. Former NFL player. Well, I mean, the Patriots don't have Tom Brady anymore, so. Well. It's the Buccaneers. Not many people like the Patriots. Well, it's because of Tom Brady, but. uh, Believer, of course, Ben Watson recently hosted a special prayer event with thousands of people joining in. Because, again, racism is a sin issue. We can't stress that enough. It is a sin issue. And so he held this event specifically on that. And this is what he had to say. What is always needed is a spiritual change. That's at the heart of everything. Racism is sin, he says. The idea is to get believers and non-believers to come together and pray and seek God's face in terms of our next steps When it comes to racism or issues of our day, we must enter into it with humility. Everyone wants to do something, but it's always important to understand that our wisdom is nothing compared to God's, but also humbly come together to show some unity, even though we have to address some real issues in the city and nation. So he said that change won't come until people have honest conversations and do the work that needs to be done. The importance of treating people with kindness that they want to receive was stressed by Watson during this time. He also noted that God is a God of justice. He says, I had a lot of people reach out to me. I don't understand where did all this stuff come from? And Watson responds to that question. Educate yourself on the history of this country. Educate yourself on what's happening. Why are certain people feeling certain ways? A great video that just came out, Phil Vischer, who created uh, the Veggie Tales. 
He was the voice of Larry Boy, I love of that. Larry the Cucumber. It was like uh, Larry Boy and Larry are the same person. Yeah. Phil put out, I know they are, it's a secret identity, right? Yeah. Okay. Phil put out a video. He has a series that's called Holy Posts. Instead of Holy Ghost, get it? Holy Posts. That's funny. And so he has a video that looks at race in our country historically that is really, really good. And bottom line, what he says is what we said earlier. We need to listen, we need to learn, and we need to care. What we're going to do is we're going to share that video on the Kitchen Table group that you can find on the Shine.fm page. Again, thank you to uh, Ben Watson for making a difference in culture on behalf of the kingdom of Christ. That's what we celebrate during Culture Shock, and that's what we're celebrating today. And that wraps up this episode of The Kitchen Table. If you want to get some information and some, uh, and we'll share that link to the Facebook page, you can find that under the Shine.fm Facebook page in the group tab called The Kitchen Table, and uh, we'll let you in. It's a, it's a private one, but we'll let you in. We want you there to come hang out and discuss further. Yes, so we'll share links there. But if you also have faith discussions that you want us to talk about or song suggestions, and if you have people in your culture, your community that you see is making a difference, share it with us because we want to know that. Listen, learn, and care. Stay salty and lit. Thanks for listening to The Kitchen Table on the Shine.fm podcast network from Olivet Nazarene University. Be sure to subscribe for more content delivered each week on faith, music, and culture.